0: All I know is hustle, all I know is bubble. All I know is struggle All I know is trouble, all I know is smuggle All I know is double Ain't nobody business but the town all of the scales is digital underground Step up, step, step up So you know I get around up. but I be right back Like the cracks in the foundation That's why we like what's cracking and what's we're shaking we're shakin'. Bass slang birth from the earthquake And then we bear never break Fast day, day, day Hungry tummy always coming
1: for the Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of the Behold Podcast On the Genre Equality channel My name is Hitzir um, Aysa uh, and we have a very special guest yet again for this week. Uh, it is Shafiq Hussein, who I also run a different podcast with called the Hard Hit Wrestling Podcast. So Shafiq, uh, what's it like to be uh, talking about things that are not men in tights?
2: Ew, <laughs> wrestling. Who still watches wrestling?
1: Uh, don't you know it's fake?
2: <laughs> is it? <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm quite nervous about this, so I hope everyone uh, bears with me. Uh, yeah, but yeah, I have a lot of opinions, but, but definitely. I, I hope they're valid.
1: Of course, <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah, you don't, know. It <laughs> you're one of the, the biggest Insecure fans that I know, I think besides Harness, yeah, but not many people actually watch Insecure, and I think Insecure is, is a wonderful show. If you're not aware, uh, Insecure is an American mm-hmm. comedy, dramedy television series created by Issa Rae. Uh, it, it's kind of partially based on Ray's uh, web series Awkward Black Girl. Um, it's, a, it's a show that premiered in 2016 on HBO and it's now currently just wrapped up its fourth season. Um, the show is essentially about Black millennial life in in Los Angeles, and uh, that is kind of what we want to get into. Uh, this uh, on this episode, uh, with 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 Shafiq, um, Isa will be kind of leading the conversation as a person who is not super familiar with the show. He's in a bit of it, but yeah. not not too much, right?
0: Yeah. So back when insecure came out, I think I caught like maybe the first four episodes. So that was mm-hmm. still uh, quite a, num- a number of years back, right? yeah uh, Yeah. i'm not really sure why i didn't keep up with it but i mean you guys have been talking about it for a while now so let's just pretend right that i didn't see those four episodes they might as well not have happened for me and like kind of lay it on me and tell me what i've been sleeping on so mm-hmm. tell me like uh let, let's start with uh hits like let me how did you kind of like discover it and then we'll go with shafik and you guys can tell me how you started found <laughs> it.
1: Um, Insecure kind of came around the time of this birth of this, this golden age of like half hour dramedies that are more substantial than half hour comedies, but also has the artistic and emotional depth of hour long dramas, you know, like uh, shows like Atlanta and Barry and, and, and stuff of that ilk and kind uh-huh. of Insecure fell, fell into that. The only, the biggest difference with Insecure was that I was intrigued by its uh, its creator, first of all, Issa Rae, mm-hmm. uh, and its premise above, about the black female uh, millennial experience you know, from the perspective of, of two friends. Uh. Yep. Um, it's a very different subject matter because we were very, very used to uh, male protagonists or male anti-heroes and their, and their depth and nuances and failures and contradictions and things like that, but we haven't quite seen it mm-hmm. from a black female perspective, uh, let alone something this grounded. Mm-hmm. I had heard mm-hmm. a lot of Phenomenal reviews for the show. Um, for the first season, I wasn't watching it week to week, but the second, I caught up. The second season, I I kind of watched it week to week all the way until now, and I and it's been, uh, in my opinion, like one of the best shows on TV, and just features like, uh, God level writing. It's it's me as a as an aspiring writer or or or, or as a writer in general. I o- can only strive to. Uh, become this great, you know. It's, to me, it's a is is the best of the of the dramedy writers alongside you know Phoebe Waller Bridge who does playback, you know. Um, it's it's just one of the best shows I've ever seen.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. And Vic, how about you?
2: Uh, it was sold to me uh by a friend who just said that it had great music in it. Uh, uh that's oh, usually yeah. enough for me. Yeah. Uh, uh, just... Yeah, and then it, it, like specifically, someone said that there's a cover of the internet girl in like the first episode and it was a really good cover mm. and then someone showed me the clip and i was like okay i'm watching this and then i think right after that clip is a uh, it's a little bit of isa doing like a freestyle rap to herself her, in, the mirror. Her in the mirror yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. and then i was like okay i have to watch this uh it was actually sold to me as a show called insecure as fuck uh initially
1: Uh that was the title of the first episode of the first episode right and Ah, then it was
2: actually every episode uh in season one was something as fuck as fuck as fuck so uh yeah 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 yeah, so it's like (laughs) insecure insecure as fuck real as fuck guilty as (laughs) fuck which is so good yeah Yeah. same thing like in
1: season eight season four was like low-key something yeah that's
2: true yeah and then season two it was hella
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) hella great hella open hella shook you know yeah and then
2: season three was like uh, something like obsessed like ready (laughs) light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, and then okay. So after like a few episodes of watching it, I realized mm. that it's it's for it's for girls. So essentially, mm. it was just like girls, uh, like Lena Dunham's girls, mm. only much better, oh. sl- yeah, less, so much better, less 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 annoying. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and in LA, basically, nice.
1: Yeah, I I kind of missed the girls comparison just because I didn't want I. In yeah. my head, I just I couldn't put it together with girls because girls is such like a, I I, it's a good show. <laughs> it's so toxic. <laughs> but it's so toxic, you know, yeah. and and insecure is very different and and a lot better. Lah.
2: Yeah, and then like Lena Dunham writes writes it herself, so there's that yeah, comparison. Yeah. Except that this is way better. Mm.
1: Yeah, 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 it's it's kind of this like a uh, uh, insightful, raunchy, hilarious journey through the life of a twenty-something. Black mm-hmm. woman that that really cuts through um, stereotypes of what uh, black people, or what at least of what outsiders think black people are. Yeah. Uh, it cuts it cuts through the stereotype with a lot of sharp wit and effusive spirit. And Issa Rae in particular plays a protagonist that is um, incredibly awkward, like super, like charmingly mm-hmm. awkward. Yeah. Like I've seen a lot of comedies where there's like you know the manic pixie white girl who's awkward. Yeah. That. You know, but I haven't quite seen it from a black presentation before. You know, because Issa Rae is kind of a black nerd. Uh, from the way that she raps to herself, it's immediately, it immediately won me over. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think from se- right till now, up to now, like in season four, like Issa, a Rae being awkward just continuously being uh, is is just funny to me. I, I ROFL all the time. Yeah. <laughs> but what I didn't expect was to be super invested in all her friends as well. Mm. From from Molly. To, uh, to a lesser extent, uh, Kelly and Tiffany. Kelly for uh, although, me, especially. <laughs> although, I mean, I mean, I do feel like Kelly, like pound for pound, like per average, is like the largest laugh factor of the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, it's it's kind of weird, because Kelly doesn't have any quite depth to her, really. Like, at all. <laughs> but, she, but she's just like this joke factory, and, yeah. and you kind of need that sometimes amidst the heaviness of the show. Yeah, yeah. okay,
0: okay. So before before we kind of move on to what you guys like discussing uh, the the most current uh season, right? Mm-hmm. Why don't you in kind of broad strokes without giving too much away. I mean mm-hmm. like obviously I think it's part of the still day. We don't have to I mean we don't have to worry about spoilers uh, for the first three seasons. Yes. Um catch me up with the story and, and where where is where are the characters right now? Um you know, in, in sort of really broad strokes.
1: Okay. Um so for the first season it basically focuses on relationships uh more romantic relationships uh mm-hmm. from Issa's point of view and her friends Molly's point of view um trouble with boys season two and three was more of trouble with work uh and season three was more of trouble with gentrification uh mm-hmm. but uh it, it's all very interesting because you know yeah their loves lives are important their work mm-hmm. lives are important um the gentrification of this of their city is important but Season 4 kind of delves us into something that i kind of been brewing a little bit in mm-hmm. seasons 1 and 3 in terms of uh, Issa and her best friend Molly have been at each other's rocks for so long. Mm-hmm. But there are fundamental disagreements in how they live their life and their basic life philosophy that has kind of been building and building and building and building to Season 4. Yep. So Season 4 kind of deals with the dissolution of their friendship. Mm-hmm. Uh, how they turn from best friends to people who just don't speak to each other anymore. Yeah. Um, season 4 opens with a with kind of a flash forward a bit to what happens in the middle of the season where Issa just says, uh, Molly, I don't fuck with her anymore. Yeah. Which is quite shocking for us because, you know, we've been through them. They come as a package, you know. Yeah. They're, they're those yeah. two people that come together all the time. So how did this friendship uh, break apart? And the way it's done is so organic. It's so natural. there's nothing mm-hmm. There's nothing very overly melodramatic or so opera-y about how their friendship dissolves because from my point of view, I've had a lot of friendships dissolve the same way and it's mm-hmm. it's true, very, very small things but things that are not addressed uh, and, and when they should be addressed so they start building and they start building and building and building. Like, it's very naturalistic. Um, a lot of people were, you know, on the hashtag of this season was are you on Team Molly or Team or, or Lisa? <laughs> oh, wow. but, but like in in my opinion, the... It's not about whose team you're on. It's yeah. it's more about demonstrating how emotionally damaging it can be when you fall out with your friends, and it's kind of one of the most relatable things because you know not everyone uh, has like a or oh, a child or a wedlock or yeah. uh, stuff like that, but everyone has broken up with friends, you know. Yeah. So um, this tense negotiation around the changing nature of their relationship has kind of been the crux of season four. Do
2: you also feel like you're on team neither? Like you are the other friend who see yeah. both sides of the story i think that it was very smart the way it was written mm-hmm. for you to be the other person in their f- yes in their friend group so basically you're kelly uh, uh,
1: definitely. yeah kelly or, or tiffany yeah, yeah
2: and then you're just looking you understand where both of them are coming from but like you, you're just unable to, to let them know
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah basically
1: yeah definitely definitely uh, anything else you want to know, Issa?
0: No, I think that pretty much summarizes all of it. I mean, like, uh, definitely going to hop on this uh as soon as my watch- watching schedule kind of clears up <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> uh, with all the things that we need to watch. But yeah, but guys, take it away. And uh, um, so just a spoiler warning for people who have not caught up with Season 4. Uh, Shuffling and Hidze are going to be talking about some of the topics that are pertinent to that. So if you are not up to date uh, with Season 4, please make sure... Uh, that you can skip past to the next two topics that we have later on, which is blind spotting and um, a little documentary called Peanut. Right. Yeah, so definitely. spoiler warning in three, two, one.
1: Okay. We're we're gonna be delving into some plot details. I'm not gonna like spell out beat for beat what happens. But <laughs> like season four, you know, after many seasons of, you know, breakups and breakdowns and hookups and fuck-ups and uh and Issa's latest unhinged endeavor, you know, uh this season is mostly about Molly and her relationship with Molly. Yeah, there are other things as well. You know, Lawrence is yeah. in there, a new character named Condola is in there. Um Tiffany deals a little bit with uh post-NATO depression, which is an interesting look as as well. Um Kelly is just being Kelly. <laughs> yeah, uh, nothing much has changed there. But uh what what do you think about uh season four as it began? You know, did you did you kind of see uh why the friendship would break up or or were you surprised by by how it happened?
2: Uh I wasn't surprised at all. Mm. Like you could I felt I could see where it was going. Uh yep. I think it was very clear in how she was writing it uh also. Mm. And then it was it was a countdown, wasn't it? To the yes. blog party.
1: Correct. Yeah. Uh
2: so we were at like four weeks before the blog party and then three
1: weeks, two weeks. Yeah. Three weeks, two
2: weeks yeah and then the blog party was where Mm-hmm. it eventually
1: uh it
2: blew up what? yeah basically uh yeah. but yeah, I wasn't surprised at all yeah
1: yeah, yeah. yeah i thought it, i thought it was interesting because this season especially has showed Molly mature and grow uh as a person in a way that uh in season one to one two three in various aspects of her life, she was kind of a mess, right, yeah, like either in terms of boys or in terms of work, Walk. yeah, she felt uh anyway at her previous um a social work company that yeah. she was working at uh, whether it was Lawrence or Nathan or I forgot the the trap producer guy that she was hooking Daniel. up Daniel Daniel right yeah. yeah yeah there's so many Daniel stands out there I don't get it like I don't get really? Daniel anyway I mean like, he's fine there's but no wrong.
2: Nathan is fine Nathan, Nathan's my guy
1: yeah yeah no like for me it's Nathan as well yeah but, the know, guy's Lawrence, hot. Lawrence has been her 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 Ross la, so yeah. if she was Rachel like Lawrence is Ross right can we
2: talk about guys like this
1: uh yeah yeah let's okay. let's do that. Yeah. yeah um because okay, <laughs> um part of the reason that Molly wants to disassociate with Isa is because she feels like her her track record with guys and her track record with doing what she wants has always been messy and has always led to failure. Yeah. And part of it is correct because Molly has watched Isa through the last three seasons. In fact, like, you know, even before that, before we met Isa. So she knows Isa inside out. La, mm-hmm. And she has a lack of faith that Isa can pull off what she wants to pull off. She's trying to do an ambitious concert block party uh, that's gonna require a lot of planning and a lot of effort and a lot of manpower, which Isa has shown previously that she's kind of flaky, you know. Yeah. Isa trying to be friends with Condola, who, if you're not aware, Condola is uh, currently dating um, Lawrence, who, you know, is Issa's uh, former ex partner. Ex-boyfriend, yeah. So that yeah. already has, like, red flags, and, and Molly's like, you know, fuck that, I'm, I'm out, I can't offer her advice anymore, and she's lacking faith in Issa, in, in and I felt it was unfair but also understandable. Uh, and yet yeah. at the same point I also saw things from Issa's point of view because the show is from Issa's point of view. And then you saw yeah. how, that she she really she really really was trying this time, you know?
2: Yeah. Like you felt yeah. that she's grown so much. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, like I think we all have that flaky friend <laughs> mm. who we all doubt. <laughs> like they could never pull off anything. So like we kinda get where Molly's coming from as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, Issa is still hustling, uh, working as the superintendent of her LA apartment complex and yeah. kind of navigating her friendship and kind of the the quietly groundbreaking aspect of the season is just how little weight is given to her dating life because so much of it has been uh, last time, right? And now it's yeah. more towards her, her interior journey as an important part of the season is her turning into her early 30s as well you know yeah. it's no longer a show about a, a a mid-20s woman in la it's about an early 30s black woman in la um she says you know i'm on this forward path no job no man uh all this sounds bad but it's actually really good you know she tells molly over over their self-care sunday sessions right uh molly in the meantime is dating uh oh my god i keep calling him asian bay um andrew andrew <laughs> right <laughs> Yes, but it Andy. shouldn't, be, it shouldn't or... be as what the internet calls him. Uh, yeah, or from... Andy. <laughs> or Andy, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and even her romantic life is not without its rockiness, you know. Um, it is quite promising, but at the same time, I think Molly is a bit stubborn and unwilling to compromise in certain aspects of her rel- relationship. Um, so mm-hmm. let's deal with... uh, Well, okay, I guess before we talk about all the relationships and stuff, right, let's talk a little bit yeah. more about how you feel uh, Molly perceives uh, Issa's uh, relationships and how does Issa perceive Molly's relationships?
2: Okay. Uh, I I guess the the thing they're trying to tell us throughout the season is is Molly feels like Issa's just going to go back to her her old patterns and and just keep, Mm. you know, uh, getting into trouble uh, and never settling for anything good. Yep. Right, uh, and because the, so there was there was one scene where she was talking to Lawrence outside mm-hmm. the Tiffany's place, was it? Yeah, yes. And then, yeah. and then she was like, oh, "Oh, look at look at Issa just going back to her old patterns again." So there was that. Mm-hmm. And then, what did you think of of Issa's point of view on Molly?
1: I think Issa was. Almost to uh, the detriment of their friendship, too focused on getting her life right right mm-hmm. like she was focused on this block she was focused on this block party she was focused on uh being f- in this awkward situation also with 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 condola and with Lawrence, trying to yeah. be friends with everyone and and getting that right, getting her life yeah. right and everything so she 's put so much energy into it that she's kind of neglected to fill in the blank spaces for Molly, uh, who doesn't understand how she got from point A That's to point, right. point yeah. Z, right? So, yeah. so Molly makes false assumptions on that. you know, and, and part of it is Issa's fault also, but part of it is Molly's fault for not having more faith in her friend. Um, mm-hmm. So, it's a very nuanced take on how this friendship dissolves, and no one was really at fault here, right? Um, mm-hmm. the, the big Blowing up point was was Issa asking uh, asking Andrew for for an artist contact. Was it a schoolboy Q? Uh yes, else?
2: I know schoolboy yeah. Q cancelled, and then he asked for Vince Staples.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So asking yeah. for Vince Staples contact, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, which uh, like oh me Miss Staples was actually in the show. I was I was pretty yeah. Surprised. <laughs> was
2: uh, hilarious but... also. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so was Hi. her
1: yes yeah but yeah. the whole thing about about isa asking molly for help in trying to book this artist molly saying no because she's tired yeah. of uh, always being isa's uh fallback option right? and then
2: yeah yeah
1: yeah and then molly asking andrew who to be honest is not uh, i mean she he is like working with his in relations with Ben staples right so if you want yeah to get he's to at life
2: nation work,
1: you, you have to get through Andrew, but Molly sees that as a, as a betrayal. Do you think that it's fair?
2: Yeah. Uh, no, that, that was a bit unfair because, like, if from Andrew's perspective, he's just doing yeah. a favour for your girlfriend's oh. best friend, which is, like, in, in most most situations, uh, hmm. a good thing. Yeah. Except and also for getting this, your artistic uh, gig, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Yeah, so I I I don't know. It was the the way that the, specifically at the block party, which takes place halfway through the season, the way that yeah. that friendship blew up and the argument that followed, uh, came about in such a uh, hmm, con- contradictory way because like everybody didn't really understand where the other person was coming from, and it was also very bad because Issa and Molly were just starting to kind of make up at that point, you know. Like they were, they yeah.
2: were trying to. Yeah. They were doing it. the dance.
1: Yeah. They were doing the dance together, so we thought, okay, you know, now this is the moment where everything's good, uh, and then yeah. it blows up over that. But I also feel like it's necessary for the friendship to blow up at least for a while because if not, they wouldn't have started to address the underlying issues that have been building up from seasons one to three. Correct. Like, what do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think
2: they they've just. I think the the f- the number of times they fought and had problems, they just uh sweeping under the rug uh, over uh, what do they call it self-care Sundays mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah they are, that's what they, they used to do and then whenever things get like a bit tricky they would just avoid it and not and not talk about their problems I think it's been very unhealthy for the both of them yep Uh, so it's come to the point where you know like it was going to blow up and then it did in such a <laughs> messy fashion <laughs>
1: Mm, yeah. Um. I, I. was. I was a little disappointed. Like at the end for Isa, not disappointed in the in the show. Mm-hmm. I disappointed for Isa that like it blew up in a in a way that both her and and, and Lawrence couldn't have predicted uh, yeah. But at the very least, it encouraged both Molly and Isa to reconcile because uh they have nothing. They realize that when when everything else is gone, they are the only two constants in their life. Uh, That's true. Plus, you know. What I really like about the show also is that, like by the, by now, by season four, like every character is very strong, very specific, and very distinct. Yeah. Uh, they're distinct enough to demand their own episode or their own storyline, where we kind of care about them as much, or not as much as Issa, but close to as much as we care about Issa. You know. Um, That's right. I enjoyed seeing where Nathan comes from. You know, kind of dealing with the stigma of um, uh, mental illness in the black community. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. that was interesting too. Um. Tiffany dealing with post NATO depression was quite fascinating because Tiffany has always been the the the, the so well put together person mm-hmm. of the group. You know, she's the one yeah. that has always had it together. When Issa and Molly and and Kelly were messes, like Tiffany is the one that had it together. And this is the season where she kind of fell apart, and that was good yeah. too. Um, I like Lawrence, who is suddenly um, a capable, hardworking. Uh, well-earning individual. After him, just you know, slumming around in seasons one and two, yeah. uh, and it really deals with like, uh, and this feels very universal, but very specific also, in the fact that mm-hmm. Isa feels uh, left out because when Isa was dating Lawrence, and the reason she broke up with Lawrence was because Lawrence was going nowhere, right? Uh Correct. And and all the care and effort, uh, and and mental well-being that like Isa put into Lawrence is finally reaping rewards for a different woman. You know? Yeah. Like, like some women found Lawrence put together, but Isa yeah. was the one who put him together. You know? So, like, I can't, I really, really like that little touch. Yeah,
2: and, and I think when, when they reconciled, both of mm-hmm. them were at like, a better place. Yeah, uh, like yeah. yeah, Issa just did the blog party It was a success, and mm-hmm. she's looking to do more. And then uh, Lauren just came back from an, an interview. Where, like we probably assume, like one of one of the big tech companies. So mm-hmm. they they're both in like much better places. And then you you felt so good for them, and like there was a glimmer of hope. Like the the only reason they didn't work because they both won at uh at good places, and now they are. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yes yeah but yeah.
2: unfortunately
1: mm-hmm. doom, doom, doom. <laughs> I know like it's the twist at the end. I almost saw it coming uh, but because yeah. you know, oh it had it had to be something big like that to break them up again and yeah. and i kinda I kind of get it, and it it kind of reminded me of um do you do you watch the wind down like kind of the the post show yeah. discussion that you had yes. at the end yes. right? So like yeah. when, when Isari pointed out that uh in the season two finale had her fantasy of having the first child with Lawrence, right? Mm. And now she doesn't she doesn't get to have Lawrence's first child anymore. That's so uh, it's it's a nice little callback to something that happened like years ago, which I kinda forgot about. Uh it was it's yeah. a very nice storytelling touch. La. Um and, what do you think uh, sorry, go ahead.
2: And it was also the plot of uh Usher's confessions uh, I was like I was kinda of disappointed they didn't use the song for, for that scene. Because mm-hmm. it's exactly that. Uh because Asher says something along the lines of uh it's hard for me to tell you the woman I love that I'm having a a baby with a woman that I don't <laughs> something like that. Because, the, yeah, because yeah. they use case of the case of the X for a closing episode. Correct.
1: <laughs> yes. Like earlier yeah. in the
2: season. Yeah. I'm saying, Oh man. But yeah.
1: Like Maya's case of the ex was my was actually my favorite needle drop of the season because it was so perfect uh, at oh that at that moment. Um let, let's go ahead, get on to like Molly and Andrew. Like what what do you feel about their relationship, about why it worked and why it didn't work? Uh
2: I think firstly it worked because they they they're both kind of successful and mm-hmm. like initially when before they started dating, both of them were like kind of like non-committal to it. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh, they, were they were like, like fuck buddies. Uh, fuck buddies at first. Yeah, essentially. And then yep. and then I guess they, they both caught feelings.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah.
2: I guess <laughs> I guess it it worked for a while because I, I guess they're both quite busy. And, and then it, at the start, like whatever time they had, they spent with each other. And then we know this didn't carry on very well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What did you think?
1: Um, I thought that both of them. I I thought that she found in Andrew what she was lacking in Issa. Someone stable, mm. someone who, who knew what they wanted. Uh, yeah. it's it's a bit it's a bit weird because like Andrew, oh, it's almost like the anti season one to three Issa, like, where he was very steady, you know, uh, yeah. and and not messy emotionally. But mm. it got messy, But she, that's what she assumed of Andrew. Like. it got messy emotionally because she assumed that Andrew would be there and would be cool. With whatever right mm. but yeah. when when he's too busy working to meet up with him when she ha- when he has to basically rearrange his own busy schedule around molly things start yeah. start to get weirder and then the whole thing with his brother comes up right ah, uh, how do we feel you know? about that that mm. scene
2: uh at the hotel with so, the okay. towels
1: first of all, the episode in Mexico was very beautifully done. Like, I love that episode. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. uh, It was so fun. Uh, It was very bright and it's nice to see the characters in a different setting. Uh, Yeah. But the the scene that we're talking about comes about when uh, Molly asks for a towel at uh, at a poolside. And the... I don't know what you call it, a pool person, uh, ask for her for, ask for her <laughs> the card,
2: towel lady. You know?
1: The towel lady asks for her card, you know, because you have to be a guest at the hotel for a towel, right? Uh yeah. Moni takes it as a case of racism. Like, oh, mm-hmm. um, she's not giving it to me because I am I'm, I'm black, but you give to yeah. you give towels to the white couple earlier. Um yeah. basically, Andrew's brother uh calls out saying that, like, you know, it not everything is racism. Yeah. I feel that. It wasn't and Molly was overreacting also. Yeah. But I also feel that Andrew's brother could have handled it better because yeah. she he out and out asserted that like Molly's uh Molly's vulnerability in terms of uh racism like isn't valid.
2: Correct. And I, I think he was also coming from a standpoint where you don't think I go, go through racism too. Like I'm Chinese. Hmm. I, mm. I get it all the time too. Uh yeah. I I thought that was a very, very important thing uh to include in the episode.
1: Actually Yes, I uh, I agree. And there's a lot there's been a lot of discussion, I mean, specifically right now uh, because mm-hmm. of yeah. the the Asian American community seem to be unaware mm-hmm. uh that racism for black people is very different of course, to racism yeah. from from yeah. Uh, Asian Americans. Like yeah. I mean, for one thing, they don't get shot and killed or yeah. uh, and, and things like that, you know. And yeah. and one of one of uh, startling images that like has come out, you know, over the George Floyd killing was the Asian American officer, right, just standing by and letting the the black guy, yeah. you know, get killed. Yeah. Uh, and you know, um, so it's kind of like that obliviousness with the Asian American community. Mm. Yet, yes, they they do get discrimination also.
2: Yes, but I mean, their discrimination the discrimination is
1: it's not the same and you have, and they often have like no idea how much worse it is for the black community. Yeah. So for Molly to feel threatened at that moment, yeah. uh, yes, she overreacted, but uh, like the Asian guy shouldn't have dismissed it so yeah. out of hand. Yeah. yeah, so I think both, both of them were kind of in the wrong. Yeah.
2: That's yeah. Cool.
1: Which, yeah. Is what, which is what I like about the show because everyone is kind of in the wrong. Like, yeah, which is, is what like, I think Issa yeah. does
2: all the time. That she makes it so that everyone is in the wrong. Literally every person in the show.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, they're somewhat in the right, but somewhat in the wrong. Like. Yeah. So it's a very, it's a very humanist uh approach to writing character. Yes. Which is, which is kind, kind of rare, I yeah. mean a, a, Again, with the exception of Kelly, like Kelly is just a joke machine. <laughs> 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 uh, Kelly is amazing. Kelly is the season.
2: Kelly's British uh, accent this season. <laughs> <laughs> and it was with Aminé, the rapper, as well. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: what happened to your uh, accent? <laughs> I'm from Philadelphia. Let's go.
1: Oh, <laughs> uh, that was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, was it like Issa's brother was the one who was trying to trip up with the accent?
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Show if what part what are your medicine. thoughts about Brexit?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Um, I, I didn't want to touch about like Lawrence for, for a while. Mm-hmm. Because uh, for some reason that I don't understand. Like yes. on the internet, people seem to hate Lawrence. And really? I don't get it. Do you hmm. hate Lawrence? I don't, not at all. Because like, why do people uh, hate Lawrence? Because they think he like Issa deserves better, and ah. maybe at one maybe at one point she did. Yeah, but but Lawrence right now seems to be in a better position than Issa, and has kind of grown a lot, lah. Yeah, and I think the whole point of Lawrence's arc is that like people are not uh defined by one failure That's or right. by one one year of depression, right? Yeah, uh, and and. People seem seem to keep forgetting the fact that it was Isa, yeah. right? Lawrence, <laughs> <laughs> Daniel. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like I, I, like at first I kind of felt the same way, but I think Lawrence has grown on me over the last couple of seasons, mm. Uh, but at the same time, going forward, it's gonna be like really messy with Lawrence having a, a baby with a another yeah. kind of woman, uh, a woman that is kind of Isa's friend as well. Yeah. Uh, that's gonna be weird. Um. Yeah, so I mean, I I like them. Is there any like other small characters that you kind of uh, enjoyed the season?
2: Sorry, just on on Lawrence. I want, oh, go I wanted ahead. Wanted your opinion on this. Like, he is not the strongest actor on the show. is he? No, he's not. Yeah, he's quite flat most of the time. Like mm-hmm. I I think that the, he like his chemistry with a, like doesn't really come off as organic as it should be sometimes. Yeah, like even yeah. when they when they're bantering, it it doesn't feel as good as it should. Yeah, this is like a little nitpick for me.
1: Correct, uh, yeah. I, I was also wondering about that because I, I don't know whether that was an acting deficit on his part or mm-hmm. whether it was a, con- a conscious choice to, yeah. to show that they are always never quite in sync.
2: Yeah, because I've never seen him in anything else.
1: Correct, yeah. yeah because so I I, I think, know. based on kind of what he said on the wind down, part of me believes that it's a conscious acting choice to show that the chemistry mm, is not okay. as strong as it, sh- as it should yeah. be. La. Even okay. at, the, at the at the moments when they're super comfortable together, they're still a bit like not in sync there. Yeah, and it, it, it's a very small acting choice, and I think I think it's intentional. Okay, but yeah, but like to your point, the reason why Elora is so hated is probably because of the lack of chemistry. Yeah, diesel. because it, it, like Daniel was like sparks, right? Neither yeah, that's
2: true. Yeah, oh Nathan. Rrr.
1: <laughs> um, the way Nathan the way Nathan, the way he reacted when he found out that his ex uh, oh, yeah. was back with Lawrence, yeah. um, is the most relatable. I think guy moment yeah. uh, in in this in this season because I think I've reacted that way too. Yeah. Like, like when you find out that your ex is, you know, is dating someone else, you know, yeah. you think you're cool with it until, like, the fact hits you. Yeah. And then immediately he starts, like, bad-mouthing him, like, very subtly.
2: Do you think that that was meant to show a bit of his uh, bipolar personality as well?
1: Sure, yeah. To an extent. But I think no. mostly is is to show you're how bitter, guys that. react yeah. to women. <laughs> <laughs> I think guys, whether they are mentally ill or yeah. whether they're totally fine... you are be <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was like everything he said there, like yeah. it was a, a backhanded compliment and I really, really get it. Yeah. Uh but at the same time also his bipolar nature is an interesting choice to deal with mm. because I like how, how they did it without overly dramatic circumstances. Like he yeah. didn't go nuts and shoot anybody, you know, things yeah. like that. Basically he just disappeared from Isa's life, came back, explained his situation, yeah. and kinda Get to know him better. He, like.
2: he didn't go full Kanye. He
1: didn't go full Kanye. Yeah. Kanye is definitely bipolar, right? <laughs> yeah, he is. <laughs> uh, by the way, like the the actor who played um who played Nathan was actually like uh, injured recently, right? In the in the Black Lives Matter. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, he, he got shot with a rubber bullet. I know.
2: Everyone was heartbroken for him.
1: <laughs> I know everyone loves Nathan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: I think you were asking earlier about which are the yeah. characters. Uh, like stood out. I think for yep. me, this season was definitely—is uh, his name Amir? Uh, is his brother.
1: <laughs> his brother, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it was okay.
2: so good this season.
1: <laughs> yeah, I you know. Like, I felt like he has—he's always been in all the seasons, but he's never really been a major part yeah. of it. Like, this is the first
2: time like he's truly shined.
1: Yes. Yeah. Hundred yeah. H- uh, percent agreement.
2: I think the first time we see him was at the. The fundraiser at Issa's apartment complex when he was DJing.
1: Oh <laughs> my he, god! Yeah. That, was, that was the first episode, right? I for, totally forgot about that. No, that's
2: true. And then and then Issa was uh Issa was telling him uh come help out with some things. And then he, he's like, no, I have to DJ you know. What? And then Issa <laughs> told him uh oh you're just pressing a few buttons. <laughs> you're not gonna get couple tunnels. <laughs>
0: Speaking
1: as, of, speaking as like, okay, I guess both of us have DJed, right? That is so insulting because it's so much more than that. <laughs>
2: yeah. How dare you?
1: <laughs> How dare you? Yeah.
2: We just, it's we a just lot of play, twisting of knobs.
1: <laughs> twisting of knobs or we just play CDs, you know, shit like that. <laughs> la. Uh, Yeah, I, I really like it, the, the brother and like, you know, the Mexican restaurant that they went with on Thanksgiving. Yeah. That was uh, and everything. Uh yeah, fantastic. Like I, I I like the way everyone's relationship came together and broke apart. Uh, mm. Andrew and Molly, Issa and Molly. Um, uh, in in fact, this season, like Issa, for the first time, if not wrong, met we met her mother, right? Yes. Yeah, in the Thanksgiving uh, yeah. episode. Correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I I can't remember having met her before, but it, it spoke a lot to her character as well. Uh, that she she had no one else to turn to but her mother, and we yeah, hadn't seen her definitely. mother in years. Yeah, yeah. yeah that that was really, really good, you know. Like I mean any like concluding thoughts about um about uh Insecure as a show and Insecure the fourth season?
2: I I just want to say that Insecure has <laughs> like the best music that's ever been used in in any television show I've ever seen in my life. I, I know this is biased, uh because mm. like like the music in the show just speaks to me like every single like every week I discover a new artist or a new song. That I I get very into. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, it's one hundred percent one of the best soundtracks you will find in cinema or in TV. Um, I think where in terms of like trying to get an understanding of yeah. Black Millennial experience, you know, that's right. This is this is probably the best show out there. Uh, yeah, I mean there are other great Black-led shows, you know, yeah. like the the like the magical surrealism in atlanta is very artful mm-hmm. the kind of the kind of potent political fire in dear white people is very is very good as well yeah but kind of uh finding humor in in discrimination and in black life that you kind of find in kenya barris's blackish is which, good as well which
2: a lot of people hate
1: we, yeah we, we should of people hate yeah. but i think like um Insecure is the one show that kind of combines all of those elements into like one very concise package, and that's why I think it's probably the best uh, example of uh, the Black Millennial experience that is represented on TV. Uh, I mean, us not being Black people, it it gives us an idea of what day to day life is. You know, there are some there are some shows where it's like, oh, it's all about oppression, it's all about racism, it's all about dealing drugs and shit like that. You know, like this is this is different. They're just like normal. Twenty-year-olds who are working in like social media and shit.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's woke <laughs> with, enough.
1: It's woke enough, but yeah. also grounded grounded enough to uh, embrace uh, their flaws as human beings. Like, that has yeah. nothing to do nothing to do with race, right? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, brilliant show. And uh, I I saw if you haven't caught up, like you should like over the next few months or weeks, like do catch up because yeah. I think there is no more insecure for a while. Like oh. they, because like COVID has stopped production you know uh, right. and and i and, and was supposed to be in production a few months ago yeah. so i think the next season won't be for another year or year and a half yeah. also isa yeah yeah.
2: Uh-huh. yeah the music is curated by the legendary Raphael shadiq
0: yeah so i mm. heard i so, i read that uh solange <laughs> is also like as, yeah as solange
2: beautiful. yeah also so like between solange and rafael shadiq
0: <laughs> i'm I'm so just on that alone actually yeah uh, actually
2: i was, I, made, I made a playlist for you uh Damn. <laughs> send it over before. send it over. Sweet. Uh, I'll, I'll just send it over. Sweet, later. Sweet. Yeah. Cool, man. Uh Thanks.
1: definitely, man. And and that was our discussion of uh HBO's Insecure. If you want to watch it, you can find it on HBO Now or HBO Go or HBO Max. Uh the first four seasons are now completely available for your viewing. Uh me, shafiq uh me and Shafiq would definitely highly recommend it. La. Uh, and yeah, that's that's it for our insecure discussion. Please tune in. Uh, we are about to discuss uh, blind spotting and Pina in just a bit. But in the meantime, uh, thanks so much, Shafiq, for coming on. No
0: yeah, problem.
2: Enjoy, guys.
0: Yeah, we'll yeah, have, uh, we'll have uh, you back soon uh, on a hopefully. different thing.
2: Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. Yes, You'll have
1: to. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you did you did so well for a non-resting thing. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Thank you. It means a lot.
1: <laughs> I, was, I was insecure uh, earlier. <laughs> Uh,
2: okay and with that i'll go now i'm sorry
1: (laughs) no that's okay man uh thanks for stopping by shafiq and if you want to listen to more shafiq right uh tune in to our uh, other podcast the hard hits wrestling podcast uh also on mixcloud and facebook and and all those other places all right uh thanks shafiq goodbye Bye. bye and that was our deep dive into insecure with our special guest uh, Shafiq Hussein. Uh, we, we'll, well, once again, we'd like to thank him so much for joining the podcast. But, anyways, uh, now we're gonna get back into our regularly scheduled programming, where I recommend something to Isa Fong, and Isa Fong recommends something to me. Yep. Uh, and for this episode, right, uh, we're gonna be discussing two different movies. Uh, one is a nonfiction movie about a groundbreaking modern dance. Uh, Choreographer. Dancers. Yeah. Choreographer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was, I was kind of struggling for that <laughs> word there. Choreographer uh, named Pina Bausch. Uh, this was a 2011 mm-hmm. film. Uh, and it's a very experimental documentary. We'll get into why it's experimental later yeah. on. Uh, but firstly, we'll talk about blind spotting. Uh, a lot of you may... If you are part of our Singaporean listeners, you may not have heard of blind spotting because, unfortunately, this 2018 comedy-drama film... Never did come to Singapore. It, it wasn't even in the indie theaters. Like Projector didn't pick it up. Anticipate pictures didn't pick mm-hmm. it up. So it was just something I had to watch online uh, when it came available to streaming. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was particularly relevant uh for this time yeah. and for any time, like, to be honest. Like, like I mean, people keep saying that, you know, movies like this are relevant, but it's it's been relevant for four hundred years, you know. Unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't like the term unprecedented. It's so precedented that it's sad. (laughs) But uh, anyways, this is a a film uh, produced, written by, and directed by David Dix and Raphael Cassell. Um, It follows a parolee, a black man with three days left on his sentence, only to have him witness a police shooting that threatens to ruin a lifelong friendship. Mm. Uh, So yes, this was kind of a movie... Partly inspired by the twenty sixteen Black Lives Matter movement, uh, so you know it just keeps rolling on again, uh, still relevant today, and also partly inspired by these two people who grew up in Oakland and and watching kind of their neighborhoods gentrify mm. and how it affects them, uh. So I this is your first time watching yeah, it. Yeah, that's correct?
0: right. I I completely didn't uh, know about this movie's existence. Right, it went under completely under the radar for me. So, um, mm-hmm. in 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 light of all the... I mean, people have been uh, on social media kind of like recommending, you know, educate yourself, watch these movies and stuff like that. So I've gone through a lot yep. of that, but like Blank Spotting didn't come up. Uh, you know, so like it, it was great to kind of like add to to that list of, of uh, movies that spoke uh, to the moment that we're kind of in right now um, in the States, right? Uh, so yeah, yeah, it was, it was um, surprising that, you know, something this good went under the radar for us here in Singapore at least, and just generally yeah. i I feel like it didn't get that much press or that much coverage in total while I was just looking through like reviews and stuff like that, and then just reading up on on what it was about um which which is is a bit sad because it's a great movie
1: yeah de- definitely I think like it was a very thrilling. Uh, riotous, uh, very language drunk um, allergy and celebration for for a city that doesn't really get the spotlight. Uh, Oakland is not LA, Oakland is not yeah. New York, you know. Uh, but Oakland itself as a city is interesting, it's forever evolving, it's becoming something new always. Um, and whether that's a good thing or bad thing, this movie kind of delves into as well. Yeah. Uh, um, I really like the. The vibe of the film. I mean, first of all, the soundtrack is just killer. Oh, so I mean, good. that's the least of it. Uh, so but the soundtrack is fabulous. You know, it's like it was the 2018, all my favorite songs <laughs> are in there. It is it is brilliant. Uh. But besides the whole, you know, um, the issue of police brutality or police shootings, uh, this is also a, a tender and hilarious character study of, of two neighborhood friends, you yeah. know, Uh played by the film's writers and producers, David Dix and Raphael Cassell, who uh who work for a moving company. Uh, they try not to run afoul of the law and have um, strikingly different reactions to gentrification mm-hmm. and process everything uh, bewildering or beautiful or upsetting in their lives by by spitting casual exploratory rhymes, uh, literally like they kind of do spoken word poetry or rap to each other. Yeah. Um, their, their friendship feels like <laughs> uh, this, this vital, endless freestyle, you know? It uh David big dicks plays colin yeah. right uh he's a he's a black man with braids living in a halfway house uh and as see as i mentioned as he nears the end of his parole for a felony assault uh it's kind of a mystery at first what what the what his felony is but it's revealed gradually uh he kind of um he he's trying to keep a low profile shall we yeah. say? uh and and miles who is the great uh played amazingly by cassell uh, it's a white boy wearing a, a grill and packing a pistol. He disdains change in Oakland, especially once the hipsters uh start taking him for one of yeah. them, uh, rather than the town lifer who he is. Uh, So yeah, it, it's a great look at friendship and gentrification as well. Um, What what are your thoughts on the film?
0: Oh, I mean, it's... It... I didn't expect it... I, okay, I think when, when you pitched this to me to, to kind of watch it, right, and uh, the the tone in which... Well, what was going on a couple of weeks ago, especially when everything just started, like I didn't expect it to be as funny as it had turned out to be. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, like, yeah. It, it's such a raw look at a uh, 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 friendship dynamic, right, That is has a lot of extra complexity because of the context that they're situated in and the changes that are... Good.
1: And also the... The racial yeah, dynamics and the racial in dynamics, black men and the right? Like, like yeah. the,
0: the very the, the amazing kind of confrontation uh near the climax So, uh, just after the climax of the, the action, I guess we could say. Uh wow, <laughs> that that was moving in many, many different different ways. And I think like what's so fascinating is like the whole idea of of blind spots, right? Like that's kind of bro- brought up <laughs> by um Colin's ex girlfriend. Valerie?
1: Yeah, slash baby mama. Baby mama. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. So, like the whole idea about, you know, like yeah. um, you, you will always have a blind spot, right? Because uh, of cognitive mm. bias and things like that. Like, I felt that yeah. didn't quite come true until the end, right? Like, you don't really see these yeah. kind of things, uh, The what are the blind spots that these individual characters have. The moment it's mentioned, you start to look for that. But even then, it's not clear until that confrontation itself. Uh, which is 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 fascinating. Um, it is a study in in the use of language and and you know the whole idea like Go to Stein like what's in a name, right? Um, yep. And I didn't expect any of that at, at all. I was looking at, I was thinking like it was going to be a lot more gritty, uh, like an urban film about like you know what life is like in in Oakland um, in that time, right? Because uh, Oakland now hmm. is vastly different from from what it used to be. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I was very really taken by it. It was an easy watch, uh, it, mm-hmm. like it didn't, you know, it wasn't uh overly long. I thought the pacing was great. I thought the acting was great, and I, only after I watched everything that I realized that it was also written and directed by the two of them, which kind of added yeah. like a very interesting um, kind of interesting perspective, right, into the, how they wanted to frame everything and all of that, uh and um, but most of all, I think like the the to and fros and the freestyle and and the spoken word or, or often which were very, very powerful uh, required um a, a lot of my attention in fact like the mm. the i think the ultimate kind of one way calling goes off while he's holding the gun in the, in that confrontation right uh, in the house mm-hmm. like I had to stop and play it back a second time just so that i caught the entirety of 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 what he was saying uh during that scene such powerful scene such a great scene like i i think like it it was pitch perfect in in terms of its tone in terms of the message you were trying to put across it was very real it wasn't pretentious it wasn't uh forced upon the scene in any sort of way and like despite only one person speaking the entire time more or less like the acting really carried um through you know and so mm-hmm. I so I love it. So, I mean like no spoilers or anything, I guess. Yeah. Um yeah. but yeah, that scene blew kind of blew my mind, right? Um but at the mm-hmm. same time there are so many um vignettes and like uh, small uh, moments of human realization, I think, especially with uh um Miles Kid, right? Yes. Yeah, like yeah. those two scenes with Miles' Kid, wow, I mean like that really kind of drove home um uh, a, a lot of what this film is trying to speak to, I feel.
1: Yeah, I mean, hundred percent agree, man. Like, I I often try not to. I it is kind of the big, biggest selling point and the biggest uh drawback to the film in that whenever I try to explain to someone that the movie climaxes with a black guy shaming a white cop through battle rap, it sounds, it sounds
0: ridiculous. Yeah, like it sounds ridic- ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous you know? But it is so good. It is so good, yeah, like, right? It, in my opinion, right? Like that, yeah. <clears throat> I I guess we could call it a monologue, right? That monologue sits up there with a lot of the uh, monologues of cl- uh, great cinema, right? You want to go talk mm. about Reservoir Dogs or or any like any kind of like monologue that you get in Tarantino film, right? Like that yeah. that easily could stand on par with that, right? Like and it's mm-hmm. so. Kind of telling uh, the way they decided to do that, like in the beginning, whenever you know they kind of do their rhymes and like, it's like it's 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 kind of like cloy it's kind of like toying, you know, they're just kind of having fun, and for yep. him to deliver what he has struggled with over the entire course of the film as we follow him in verse is extremely yeah. powerful. And there's this one line where he just says like like you are only, uh, you are only um you've only learned to listen to a black man when he raps, right? So here am I rapping yeah. and i was just like, i was blown away, right? By, yeah. by the delivery of, of that speech. Uh, in in mm-hmm. verse, mind you. It, it's solid. Really, really solid.
1: Definitely, man. Uh, David Dix uh, obviously can rap and can sing as well. Uh, a lot of you may know him from Hamilton, the, the hit Broadway musical, uh, where he is essentially Lin-Manuel Miranda's Mm alternate. So he is playing Hamilton when Lin-Manuel Miranda is not there, and Lin-Manuel Miranda is not there anymore. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he's a a bunch of other shows as well. He's on a show called Central Park right now, which is a musical comedy. So he he is from a musical background, and he's also from a spoken word poetry Mm -hmm. background. Uh, And you can kind of tell that these two friends were kind of from the spoken word poetry scene because you know there are some uh pretty interesting or, or if you're into that scene like, there's some big name cameos like um if you know who phil and sarah k mm-hmm. are like sarah k plays a housing agent that they meet here just very short yeah. while you know uh so it kind of gives this whole like like you're saying like, like this Arthur miller meets slam poetry vibe to to the movie yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and it's also, like, a really great visually. Like, it's, it's also a really great city symphony that toasts that and laments Oakland, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, it feels alive, you know, it's blazing with street photography and, and attuned to its incidental encounters to, to um, with contradiction and irony. Um, for example, like, we meet a white artist uh, whose work honors the people displaced by gentrification, uh, and also the oak trees cut down yeah. to pave... Uh, to pave the way that uh that the Oakland is now being lost uh, uh and we witness the the priceless moment when Colin's uh mother whose uh, whose home is bedecked with uh, African drums and photos of Angela Davis uh you know uh, who vows not to join the exodus of uh long time residents uh by outpriced uh, uh housing uh. Like real estate housing, yeah. You know, um, it's it's fantastic. It's it's it. A part of it is also like the movie is quite theatrical too in terms of speechifying and dialogue, yeah. but visually it's quite cinematic as well, uh, and as, as it is musically. Mm,
0: yes, yeah. I mean, it is a beautifully short film. I really have to say, uh, like the it it they they always manage to hit the right tone for the scene, right? Uh, like one of one of my favorite scenes is when when Miles like walks into the. The hairdressing, is long. yeah, and <laughs> tries yeah, to pitch yeah. the, uh, the tries to pitch the curlers, hair straighteners. I, I can't remember which one, uh, but it's yeah. hilarious! It's so good the to and fro, and it's kind of like you've got your your chorus there with all all like the the black women sitting around getting their hair done. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's uh it's so good um the way that 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 particular scene was framed, and it me, I think it added a fair bit to um. Just to the point that there's a, a fair deal of good, well placed humor here, despite the fact that you know, uh, it's it's amidst something um, like Collins go through some very so serious like PTSD, right, from witnessing uh, mm-hmm. uh, another black man get shot by the police. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah yeah um it it's great because like when you kind of pitch the basic premise of it to someone you know this this piercing drama about race and class and identity and expectations and about what the world sees and expects when it looks at you and how hard it is when you've been raised in this culture and steeped in these pathologies to see people uh, as who they are, rather than what you expect or fear, mm-hmm. you would think that that it's it's a very heavy film, but um, it's often uh, lightened by uh, a lot of comedic elements, which really helps the movie in terms of pacing and flow, yeah. and just being able to digest it without kind of the the heavy handed, spikely sledgehammer that like you know, uh, you know, it hits you in the face. You know, it's a bit more subtle with yeah. it. Um, it's it's discussion about. You know uh different things are like who gets to say the n word mm-hmm. um uh being white uh and yet being raised in in basically black culture you know things like that it's it's a lot more nuanced than I expect it to be and and from i haven't seen this film since twenty eighteen but i like it's still one of my favorites and i I recommend it uh more and more because it is relevant to these times it's it's wild it's singular uh and and it's just this, this feast and feat of uh self definition through true verbal dexterity.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh yeah. I mean like I am uh, not really sure what else we can actually say about it, except like it's not what people this film was not what I expected it to be. And I think it's mm-hmm. even as we kind of discuss it now, uh it's it's yep. gonna be uh not what people expect. You know, if you're listening to this and you're curious about it and you pick it up, I think like even then, as best as we are trying to explain. <laughs> what's been going yeah. on, and and what it's about, and all of that. Like this, blind spotting will take you by surprise. I think, um, just how good it is, just the way that it's it's run. It is a common um, it's it's like coalescing so many kind of like different facets, right, at the same time, mm. uh, that fit very nicely together, and it's something that really kind of works, right. And it's a snippet into uh, you know um, uh, kind of the lives of of these two particular characters that both. Uh, Debbie Diggs and Raphael Castell bring, um, that is because at the end of the movie, like, there's no kind of definitive, uh, ending to that, right? Like, there's not like life goes on from there on end, and it's such an interesting kind of like t- take on that, right? Like, you know, uh, mm. you kind of want something to happen, you kind of want something to kind of like be definitive about that, but nothing really comes of it, uh, you know. Of course, yeah. So yeah, I mean, like. Uh, really, really enjoyed Blind Spotting for sure, man. Uh, thanks for the recommendation.
1: Definitely. Uh, and if you wanna watch Blind Spotting, it's uh not available on Netflix, but it is. Well, actually, it is available on Netflix in America. But if you wanna watch it, it's also available on Amazon Prime and uh, various VOD platforms. If you wanna get it, uh, highly recommended. A uh, good look at race and class and gentrification yep. that isn't. Uh, I mean, not that dear white people is bad, but it doesn't scold you into um thinking a certain way. Uh, and it's not as heavy-handed as uh, kind of the Spike Lee stuff. Th- those all have artistic merits as well, but I just kind of enjoy blind spotting more uh, because it is so much—it's uh, so nuanced and it approaches the subject matter in a way that uh, that you probably would not expect, even after listening to this review. Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, let's talk about uh our second nonfiction title that we've talked about on this mm-hmm. podcast. It's called Uh Pina. Uh, would you like to uh give a little synopsis?
0: Here? Yeah. So. Um... Pina is a two thousand and one documentary, uh, done by Wim, Wim Wenders. Um, not two thousand eleven. Yes, uh, Wim Wenders, and uh, it was interesting. Okay, I can't really remember how someone introduced this film to me. I can't remember what the details surrounding them is, but like, suffice to say that it made a big enough impact for me to want to keep a copy. Uh, enough for us to rewatch this. Like, what are we? Nine years later. Uh, nine years yeah, later. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, um, Pina is about Pina Bausch, and she's a much-loved uh, German uh, dancer and cho- uh, choreographer, uh, whose work <coughs> was pretty unique for for its time, right? Like, she uh, enjoyed uh, incorporating a lot of, like, nature, a lot of earth, water, and stone, a lot of, like, cityscapes <coughs> within her works themselves, uh, in into the music, into the movement. Um, and so, uh, Wim Wenders, <coughs> who's also a German director, right, was a big, big fan, and uh, he had started speaking to her about uh, filming this documentary a fair bit of time, a fair a fair couple of years before it actually came out. Uh, the yep. problem is uh, what he wanted to do, right? He wanted to bring uh, the documentary into uh, into the theater space with three D technology, right? Which at that point yes. in time was still kind of developing. Um, un- mm. Unfortunately, uh, if you want to watch this now, it's pretty hard to get a, get a hold of um, the three D version of it. Uh, but yes, suffice to say that it, on its own without, without all the, the special effects and stuff like that, it is still a fantastically beautiful and evocative uh, look at um, you know Pina, uh, Pina Bausch and her work. Um, so mm-hmm. what happened was that while he was waiting for kind of the 3D technology to catch up to the point where he could bring his vision to life, uh, Pina Bausch was actually diagnosed with cancer and she died just Mm. a few days... In 2009, just a few days before filming starts. So, um, that actually changed uh, the entire kind of um, plan for Wenders. And what happened was that he decided to go ahead with it anyway. And uh, even despite the fact that uh, Pina was supposed to be you know, kind of the central voice where she explains, you know, her process and all of that, and how she chooses her dancers to be in her troop and so on and so forth. Like she is yep. ultimately missing from from the narrative uh, of, of mm. the documentary itself, and instead, what we get is like uh, the sense of of um. We we get everything else right. Like we have her 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 troop members who who speak of her very fondly, and we don't get any sort of explanation from from the woman herself unfortunately Mm -hmm. but that makes it such a fascinating watch because then it becomes like an in memoriam for her uh and i think that that framed the way that the documentary turned out uh uh, vastly right from what we would have gotten if she she had been well and had been alive at the time of filming um -hmm. so yeah um what's what's interesting there are a couple um Basically, the film has a lot of uh, these small vignettes of, um, of well, interviews, I guess, with with uh, the dancers of a troupe and her friends and the people who knew her. Uh, but when this yeah. chooses a very interesting kind of style of doing it, what he he does is that interspersed throughout all the dance movements of the film, which we'll get to in a bit, mm-hmm. um, he decides to use close-ups like silent close-ups of all these dancers right sometimes really really tight ones and and you know sometimes just a a medium shot and they don't speak instead they relate um their stories about pina bausch via voiceover right so it there's a bit of a, a kind of like a disconnect and i'm not really sure if it was because he wanted to capture um Something in, in those moments, right, when he's doing those close ups that wouldn't be related to a word and give, um, you know, these, these uh, interviewees, as far as we can call them that, um, some time to kind of process the words that they wanted to go along with that because there, it does feel like a bit of a disconnect there, but it doesn't um, change the fact that it's extremely powerful, right? Like, one is a very visceral, in the moment, visual reflection because they are being interviewed a few days after her funeral right yes, and yeah. then um the the voiceovers then come in a lot later i think when they have time to kind of process and and kind of memorialize her in in the things that they want to say um mm-hmm. you know and that happens fairly frequently and you know and we start to see um that uh what kind of character that pina has like it, it's there's no overarching narrator to this story uh there's no one who's like filling in the gaps you know there's no voice that says oh you know this is who she is and this is who she is she our impression of who Bauch is in this documentary is largely formed by these very small anecdotal quotes and and stories about um her personal interactions with with the people around her and um, yep. it is a culmination of all these small interactions that you get an idea of who she is, right? And uh, mm-hmm. kind of like her dancers form also like young and old and uh, different, uh, both male and female, and 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 all sorts of different like kind of races, and they all speak in their own native language. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's a fascinating look at people kind of like telling a story about someone who has passed on who who continues to live in their memory. Uh, yes, and then yeah. And then we've got all of that kind of like emotional uh, undercurrent kind of going on. Uh, and the very, very beautifully choreographed and very beautifully shot dance sequences that we get. Um, of which we have, uh, we have kind of like four major movements that we never kind of see the end of. These, are, these movements are interspersed throughout the film. So they cut mm-hmm. back and forth. Uh, I, I did a quick search uh, about all of it. So there's one called uh, Cafe Mueller. Uh, which um, she was well known for where basically like dancers continually rearrange a room filled with chairs and tables uh and and wander around it and so and, and continue to fall over like the continually like changing um landscape around them, right? And um my my personal favorite which is uh the water one. I don't know what the, the uh I don't know what it's called. The title is... Really, yeah, I don't know. Uh, what the, mean. Yeah, it's... It's uh, it has an onstage waterfall. It involves some water. It starts off with, like, uh, uh, you know, um, just, like, it looks like it's raining and then it becomes like a full-on thing. Uh, yep. Oh, okay. It's called Volmond, I think. Uh, okay. Yeah. And that, to me, is, like, an amazing... It's It's so... Uh, it's amazing to be able. Uh, okay, dance is often experienced. I'm no dance aficionado, right? Dance in, in terms of yeah. like dance in, in theater and and uh, within a theater space and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. But when there's use of of uh, of the camera to bring the audience onto the stage is is kind of fascinating. Uh, uh, mm. I really wish that I had seen it in cinemas in the 3D format because I did not. Uh, I saw it yes. in cinema without the 3D effects because I'm just generally not a big fan of having those 3D effects. 3D, yeah, um, you know. So I'm I I am curious about what I did miss out on, but even then, even without all of that on top, um, like it's such a different way of viewing, uh, the movement and and um, being able to you feel a lot closer to the action. Uh, just because, Mm -hmm. like, you feel like you're on stage as opposed to sitting in a chair, right, some distance away. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's Café Müller, there's The Woman, and um, the opening kind of, like, big dance uh, scene that we get uh, uses Stravinsky's, like, Rite of Spring, right, and it's just, like, this huge stage with, like, uh, like, it looks like dirt or, like, sand or earth uh, or soil, and, you know, dancers go across and do their routine, and they kind of leave traces uh of of themselves like as they kind of walk and like roll around in that uh you know mm-hmm. so good uh it's so oh man i know i've used be evocative before but like it's incredibly yeah. beautiful to watch and again i'm no dancer here I, I i think i can count on one hand the number of kind of like uh dance recitals that i've been to uh but same. at the same yeah. time that the the visual representation of that in a completely different form right because now now it's cinema instead uh is uh is has something has stuck with me for for quite a while and i uh i thought it would be interesting to kind of recommend this because like un- until we kind of compared notes to see what we wanted to recommend each other i don't think it had been on the surface of mind for so long uh yeah. yeah and then rewatching it again i'm just like okay now i i mean like i i feel like i may have a slightly better appreciation than i did 9 years ago of it um Definitely. just being a bit more informed yeah. about like you know uh back then i i was dragged not dragged i was you know someone said let's go watch it and i was like cool uh but now okay. with a lot more information uh mm. about the backstory and all of that and just doing some reading up like uh, i feel i'm a bit more filled in uh as to the context of the movie itself <laughs> and uh even with more context, right? It doesn't take away that. It's a a work of art, I think. As far as documentary goes, trying to capture uh, the work of someone who was supposed to be there but isn't there, you know, Mm -hmm. Uh, and just having all the people involved in her life um, doing the thing that was most important to her, which was dance, uh, and paying tribute to her via their dancing is incredibly moving and powerful. So, uh yeah, I mean, uh, I agree, yeah, so uh, what do you think about it? uh you know
1: yeah, um, I mean, first of all, like, I had no idea who Pina Bouch was. uh this is kind of like my first introduction to her. uh The film does get across very quickly that she is someone to be revered, uh, you know, the hushed tones with which her troupe and her friends talk about mm-hmm. her uh gives the impression that you know she is a ge- genius and and as we come to them that she is uh, Um, part of me really really does wish that i had seen it in the digital 3d format because this film was made for 3d uh so also i've read um apparently it was quite well received uh seemingly the stereoscopic techniques go well with dance and i can only imagine Mm -hmm. you know because like 3d has kind of had this bad rap as (laughs) only for um fantasy or, or like like roller coaster action packed uh thrilling kind of kind of things right so this will be a, a brand new way to watch dance mm. like. and it's it's kind of um sad, Weirdly enough i mean this is kind of an aside like. i have seen a dance 3d movie <laughs> it was it, it 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 was a step up 3d uh, which is totally different <laughs> <laughs> So like I'm sad that like Step Up 3D was my only encounter with 3D dance la, and I kind of I kind of wish I had you know seen this instead. Uh, what I really liked, and maybe some people may disagree with mm-hmm. me, I feel like um this is for hardcore dance enthusiasts in a sense because I think non-experts may feel frustrated that Pina uh, refuses to provide um background information or expert commentary yeah. uh beyond a few bits of archival footage uh, and things like that or or rehearsals and things like that right uh but i did enjoy because it is almost austerely focused on just the work itself Mm -hmm. which is what pina bausch should be defined by you know i don't know i'm not i'm not one of those people that's too interested in like the personal life of this genius musician that i know like I want. I kind of want to be interested into the work. I want to delve into the work, and it presents the work kind of refreshingly without context. Yeah. So, um, me as a person viewing the art can interpret it for myself, like, without you know knowing all the extraneous details. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think that's how Pina Bouch might probably have preferred it. Yeah,
0: yeah. I, 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 I do believe so. Like, I enjoy the fact that there's no like overt explication of what's going on, right? Uh, and yeah. Even like some in some of the interviews that they have, you kind of realize like that's that's very much in tone with the way she kind of is. I think, like, even if um, even if she was around, had been around for this, um, mm. the filming of this, I don't think there would have been much explanation going on, a lot of, like, expo- uh, exposition, uh, just because, like, in some of the conversations that she has, like, the, the conversations yes. feel a bit incomplete, right? Like, when they say, oh, you know, yeah. um, she asked me to, uh, you know, you say, your strength is in, in being vulnerable, right? And, like, that feels like there's more to that conversation but that in the the interview just stops there that particular dancer just stops there and the, the rest of it is just told like uh, by her face right uh, and again she's not saying it on camera she's she's just like you know kind of sitting in a moment about the news that that peanut has just died and she's saying things after the fact you know and you can tell from their voices and especially I think I really like the fact that they all most almost all of them decide to speak in their own kind of native languages um yes. Because her okay. troupe is, is kind of international, right? And there's something very true to that. Like they were able to express a certain amount of sentimentality and sorrow, um mm. and 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 fondness that I think you wouldn't have gotten if everything had just been in English, for example. Uh but yeah, yeah. like li- yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think that if there was more kind of like explaining going on. Uh, it would help certain people, especially if they they feel like this is something that's very far removed from their ability to appreciate without explanation. But, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I really feel like just watching the movement of the dancers alone, right, in, in, in this very fascinating... Um, uh, settings, uh, especially the ones mm-hmm. in the city, in the cityscapes themselves, or yes, located yeah, within yeah. the buildings, and all that. wow, those really, really got me, like those are ten- those weren't part of the four big movements, um, but yep. like I really enjoyed those. Um, seeing those scenes as well. I think those scenes stood out to me the most. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I feel like because dance as an art form. Uh, is wordless, I mean typically la, usually it's wordless, like I don't think that Pina Bauch would want to uh, v- verbally explain what any of these pieces mean la, and what her legacy means, you know so I think it's kind of like apt that you kind of encompass a legacy through this impressionistic s- glimpses mm. of, of uh, bodies moving, of body language of uh Undefined, unfinished sentences, you know, things yeah. like that. Like it all feels very done, uh, <laughs> Like, you know. So I, I, I actually feel like it's it's the most appropriate way to uh, approach a subject like this.
0: Yeah, I agree. I agree.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, loved it, man. It was uh engaging, uh, and and fascinating, and I got a, a really big respect for for a choreographer that like I wasn't familiar with. I mean, not being uh, not coming from. The world of musical or dance theater. So I mean, I I really had no idea who she was, and yeah, these are the kind of these are the best kinds of documentaries because I get to learn things that I, I didn't know about before. Yeah, I
0: I think in the grand scheme of documentaries that that we we've watched or we've discussed and things like that, like this is pretty unique, right? Um, it, it, those mm-hmm. are the way that it's kind of portrayed, and I, I I just thought it would be something different, uh, you know, for us to kind yep. of like watch and discuss.
1: Definitely, man. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, highly recommended both of this. Um, of course, you know, uh, Insecure, our main topic, recommended as well. It's available on HBO mm-hmm. Go or HBO Max if you have yep. it. Uh, Pina and and Blind Spotting are available on various streaming platforms. Uh, all you got to do is just Google it, you know, and, and it's there. Uh, I think both are available on Amazon Prime if you want to yep. watch it. Uh, nice, great varied uh amount of topics that we did uh this month uh, well this week uh in, in a couple of weeks we'll be back actually uh we are hoping to get a special guest for that one but in case <laughs> you know it doesn't come true in time yeah. don't want to announce it yep. yet but it is probably like in a the topic that we started this podcast for
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's a big one it's a big, so, big
1: one yeah it's a big one. So if we if we get to do that, that'll be cool. If not, you know, it's fine. We can push it to a later date. Uh, but what we can confirm is that I have watched uh ooh, embarrassingly my first time watching Nausicaa of the of the Valley of the yep. Wind. Uh, my my big studio Ghibli uh, Ghibli? Ghibli, Ghibli. Blind Spot. Yeah. Ghibli yeah and um i'm probably going to recommend uh, a dramedy called Rami if uh isa hasn't seen it yet have you seen i've Rami? caught
0: like two episodes i i mean like i started after you started raving about it yeah in uh, um mm. yeah so I, I i'm two episodes in at the moment I, i'm enjoying it i think it's pretty interesting i feel like we cool. we we'll probably have a lot to kind of talk about uh regarding mm. that so i'm looking forward to kind of like finishing it and and having like a deep chat uh, about, about it yeah
1: nice so you have, you have season one already? Oh uh,
0: no, I've just watched the first two episodes. That, that's it. Okay, right. cool. Nah, no worries. Is it for season you. two already?
1: Uh season two wrapped. uh finished a month okay, ago. Okay,
0: nice, cool, cool. I mean, like I'm looking forward to to kind of like seeing the entirety of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting because I feel like there is a lot of very specific. Islam jokes that I don't know whether people get if you're not you know if you don't practice or have not have not ever practiced but it, it it's just extra funny if you know what that prayer movement is supposed to be and then you know some guy, it, it, we'll get into that <laughs> yeah yeah week, for yeah. sure yeah yeah so uh, Phil Van once again thanks to Shafiq I've been uh we'll catch you guys next time peace Ciao.